Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from John 17, verses 6 through 19, and we're on page 903 in the uh, chair Bibles. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church family. My name is Dan Hardy. I'm one of the pastors here. I have the great privilege of serving with John Kepinger and Stephen Atherton and uh, Jake Pence and Chad Barlow. And it's my privilege to open up God's holy and living and transforming word. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that, uh, that you, uh, who knew no sin, um, became our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And we thank you that you did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but you emptied yourself. And you dove into um, our mess to reveal the love of the Father to us and to pay the penalty for our sin that we couldn't pay on our own. And Lord, I pray that today that we, as we um, gaze at the gospel of the living God, Lord, I pray that we would be compelled afresh to, um, to live on mission, to take the news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to um, right next door and to the ends of the earth. And God, I pray that, um, that our hearts would be open to uh, your gentle uh, conviction and to your glorious encouragement. Uh, by the, um, that we'd be compelled this morning by the love of Christ. So God, help me, a beggar in need of your grace, stand behind your word, not in front of it, and I pray that you'd be honored and glorified. We pray all this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and God's people said, amen. I read an article recently that had an odd claim about the Sunday gathering for Christians. This article referred to the Sunday gathering as uh, as the, the, the primary purpose is to regather, excuse me, to, uh, to re-church Christians. The purpose of the Sunday gathering is to re-church Christians. I've not heard that expressed that way, but I agree with it. 
I agree with the premise. The author made the case that Christians living in the world need to be reminded of the gospel and all of its implications. Truth leaks, does it not? Truth leaks. We can hear a great sermon. We can um, uh, be with great uh, with the saints on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, uh, truth tends to leak. So we need to be reminded on Sunday to stand in the glorious gospel that we once believed. We've been rescued from the power and the penalty of sin. We've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We've been adopted into the forever family of our Heavenly Father. Our primary identity is that of sons and daughters. We are forever and fully loved and accepted. Our aim as believers is not to live in such a way to be loved or accepted, but to live out of our love and acceptance. We don't live for identity. We live Monday through Saturday out of our identity. Rechurching believers is reminding one another that we don't go to church. We gather as the church redeemed, the rescued. We gather weekly to be reminded of the gospel and to be encouraged to live out our identity as beloved sons and daughters and to participate in the Father's business as we scatter into the very world that we were rescued from. Today and the next two weeks, so for three straight Sundays, we're going to step outside of Luke and we are going to talk about, we're going to examine God's word of what it has to say about mission. Um, today, we're going to, we're going to talk about, um, <clears throat> we're, going to, we're going to talk about living on mission. Uh, the business that every blood-bought believer has the joy of participating in is the work of mission, the Father's work. We have the privilege. And we've titled this series, um, Sent, as we have been sent into the world and we're senders into another world, of one another into the world, excuse me. So as I said, today we're going to focus on living on mission, where we live, work, play, and learn. Next Sunday, we've invited Adam Bailey to be with us. Adam Bailey was a church planting resident at our sister church in Mountain View, and he is in the process of planting a church in Denver called Skyline Church, and we get to be a part of what God is doing in Denver through Skyline Church. The third Sunday, Freddie Smala, who is um, a pastor with our sister church planting network in the Czech Republic called Mayak Church will be opening the word with us um, in the, the third Sunday. So today, as is, is Sarah read, we're going to be looking at the high priestly prayer, a, a small segment of it, chapter 17, verse 6 through um, 19. And I want to just start with a fictional story uh, that I wrote that, um, that I hope will introduce the, both the motivation and the method for living on mission. <clears throat> a married couple from northern Colorado... <clears throat> desiring to have children, heard about a ministry in Calcutta, India that rescued children born into poverty and crime and who were often sold into human trafficking. This ministry would identify women, often prostitutes, who were pregnant and encourage them not to abort their child, but to give birth and give the child up for adoption. This ministry would match yet-to-be-born babies with adoptive parents months before the baby was born. As the adoptive parents filled out the necessary paperwork and wired the adoption fees, they loved this child long before he was born. When the glorious news came that their son had been born, they were sent a picture of the swaddled baby and waited patiently for the son they had loved from the beginning to meet them. They longingly prepared a room for him. 
And they smiled every time they looked at his picture that was attached to the refrigerator. They couldn't wait to welcome their treasured possession into their forever family. Then lo and behold, after the legal requirements were met, it became time for the child to meet his adopted parents who had loved, who, whom, who, whom the, uh, who loved him from the beginning. What a glorious celebration this was. And then as a child grew in his understanding of his parents' love and what they had rescued him from, he had an increasing desire to go into the world and love others with the same love his parents had shown him. He was compelled by the love of his parents to participate in their business. Ironically, the family business was to go back into the world that the boy was saved from in order to shine and share the love of his parents to others who needed to be rescued from the world. This fictional story, I know, is an imperfect illustration of our rescue from the world and our joyful call to participate in the Father's business in reaching the world. In today's passage, I pray that you'll be motivated afresh by the eternal love of the Father and the dying love of Jesus to intentionally and sacrificially shine and share the love of God to those who, whom he has providentially put in your life. Christian, at the core of your nature, at the core of your identity and your union with Christ is that you are one who has been sent into the world to shine and share the love of Jesus Christ. It's not dependent upon gifting. It's dependent upon calling. It's a, it's a matter of identity. This is the family business that you, brothers and sisters, have been joyfully, that you've been given the joyful duty to participate in. Every blood-bought Christian has been sent into the world to work the Father's business where we live, work, play, and learn. Some are called to, to do the work right where we are, right here in northern Colorado, and some are called to other parts of the world. Of all of our Christian identities, all of them that you stand in, Forever loved, forever accepted, saint, son, daughter, beloved. Is sent one of those identities that you stand in? This is part of our new identity. This is not only what the church or the people of God do. This is actually who we are. A few questions that I want to ask you on the front end. Do you see yourself as one who is a sent missionary? Do you have deep relationships with unbelievers? Do you structure your life in such a way that you can engage, have deep relationships with unbelievers? If the answer to any of these is no, and for me, if I'm honest with you, that the answer to these oftentimes is no, then maybe one of the following is true. You may have forgotten the electing love of the Father and the dying love of Jesus. You may have too many Christian friends. You may have a fear of culture that trumps your love for unbelievers. In John 17, which is known as the high priestly prayer, we see Jesus praying to the Father the night before his death. And we're going we're gonna to fly over a small section of this. We're going to fly over verses 6 through 19 at a pretty high, pretty high level, and we're going to look for some P 
peaks in these verses that reveal the missional heart of God and the call for God's rescued people to live on mission. Today, we get to listen to God speaking to God. God the Son praying to God the Father according to the will of God for the people of God, which includes you and me today in 2023. If you want to know what Jesus might be interceding um, uh, to the Father on behalf of you for, um, a lot of it might be right here in these passages. What he prayed then for us, my guess is he's praying for us today. Jesus' prayer is both motivation and an invitation to participate in the Father's business. Here's a, here's a high-level roadmap uh, to these missional peaks. Um, first, we're going to look at the missional love of God. Then we're going to look at the missional prayer of God. And there's three aspects to that prayer uh, we're going to talk about is, is who is Jesus praying for? Why is he praying for these people? And what is he praying? And then we're going to take a look at the missional people of God. The missional love of God in verses six through eight, we, we see the eternal love of the Father and the dying love of Jesus collide. We see the order of our rescue. There's an order to our rescue, as we're gonna see here. And this order, understanding this order should motivate us to give our lives to the work of the Father. Let me read verses six through eight. This is Jesus praying to the Father. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, you have given them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you have gave me, and they have received them, and they have come, in, they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Jesus is saying this, the people who belong to you, Father, before the foundation of the world, I revealed you to them. They have come to know the truth that I came from you, that you sent me, and they have kept your word. I want you to um, listen here um, to Paul's familiar words, his, his beautiful description of the Father's electing love and Jesus' dying love in Ephesians 1, 3 through 9. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And Christian, there is a glorious order to our salvation that should cause us to worship. And the first is the Father's electing love, that he loved you and knew you before the beginning of time. And he sent Jesus to die for you, to forgive you for your sins so we can be brought back into a right relationship with the triune God. So it's the Father's electing love, it's Jesus' dying love, and then what follows next is the believer's 
It is the believer's obedient love. So as I close out this really short section, I want to remind you that your name, believer, has been on the heavenly refrigerator of the eternal God since time began. And Jesus came to rescue those that the Father had foreknown in order to be adopted into the family of God. And then after this beautiful acknowledgement of the love of God, rescuing the people of God, Jesus prays a missional prayer for these specific people in verse nine. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For theirs, for they are yours. So not to be rhetorical, but who is Jesus praying for here? Who are the them? Jesus is not praying for the world in general, but for those who belong to the Father and the Father is given to Jesus. He's praying for all who are or will become Christians. And then the question, well, why is he praying for us? And we, we get our clues from the first part of verse 11, verse 14, 16, and 18. And let me, let me read these first and then make some observations. Verse, the first half of verse 11. I am no longer in the world, Jesus says, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Father. Verse 14. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, Father, so I have sent them into the world. A lot of world there. Jesus has been with his disciples in the world for three years, and now he is leaving them alone in the world. We know that we're not alone, that we have God's spirit in us, but he is leaving them. He is physically leaving them. You see, Jesus' followers, in those three years, they came to profess allegiance to King Jesus and allegiance to the ways of the kingdom and the world as a result of their allegiance to Jesus and his ways. The world has hated them because of their devotion to King Jesus. Don't miss this. Jesus is sending his blood-bought people into the world that what? That hates us. A world that is full of decay and sin and brokenness and hostility. The loving God, the loving God of eternity and the, 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 the God who um, loved us by dying for us is sending us into the world where we will be hated. So let's look and see what Jesus is praying specifically for those he is sending back into the world. He's praying three specific things. Verse 11, keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. Next, keep them in the world. Don't take them out of the world. And then third, keep them from the evil one, 15b. Keep them in your name, keep them in the world, keep them from the evil one. Verse 11, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Verse 15, Jesus asks 
that those who have been given to him by the Father be kept to the end. That's what that means to be kept in your name. To, to not lose their salvation. And here um, is, a, um, here is a, a doctrine that runs from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, and it's the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints or the doctrine of eternal security. We can know that since it is Jesus who is interceding for his disciples, that the Father keeps them, that his petition will most certainly be answered. You see, genuine believers' security is not rooted in the shallowness of our own decision, but the depth of the Father's electing love and Jesus' dying love. Next, Jesus prays that they not be taken out of the world but that the Father keeps them from the evil one. We saw earlier in verse 14 and 16 that Jesus' disciples are not of the world, and now he prays that the Father keeps them in the world. We're not to be of the world, but we're to be in the world. Christians are, are called neither to be separate from the world. We're not to separate from the world. Christian, hear that. We are not to be separate from the world. And at the same time, we're not to be assimilated to the world. One author that I recently read said this, we're not called to blend in or check out, but to shine. Jesus doesn't pray that we won't suffer. There's not a call here being sent into the world where we're hated. He's not praying don't let them suffer, but that we be kept from the evil one. The evil one who is our defeated foe who seeks to sabotage our worship by having us assimilate into the world and our work by having us separate from the world. The evil one would like nothing better than for God's people to withdraw from the world or to give in to the ways of the world. So how do we live this out? What does this look like? In verse 18, we, we see the missional people of God we observe Jesus praying, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And he tells us what, this, what the method is, actually, in verse 17 and verse 19. The method for mission, verse 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Consecrate and sanctified are the same word. The method of mission is sanctification. And sanctification includes two different ideas. Uh, the one is obvious, to make holy, right? Sanctification is the progressive process where we look more like Jesus. But the other that I think is, is more in, um, well, they're both, they're both in sight here. The other is to set apart for service. To, so to sanctify is to make one holy and it also to set apart for service. Verse 17 tells us that sanctification comes from the word. We're to be made holy and set apart for service by close examination and application of the word of God. We've been given the word of truth, God's word, to inform and transform us, to inform us what we were saved from and who and what we were saved to, and to transform us into ones who live and love like Jesus. That's what transformation is. Transformation means that we are, we are, we are um, loving and living 
more like Jesus loved and lived. The scriptures warn us from both separation and assimilation into the world. And scriptures prepare us for mission. Scriptures prepare us to go into the world. Verse 19 indicates that Jesus intentionally set himself apart for service. For Jesus, that meant taking on human flesh. In doing this, he did not cut himself off from the world, nor was he assimilated into the world. Rather, the eternal God entered the mess that his creation made. And he lived a perfect and sinless life, and he was rejected. Yet he willingly suffered and died for those who hated him. Listen to this contrast between Hebrews chapter 7 and Matthew 11. In Hebrews 7, it says that Jesus was separated from sinners. In Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, it says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Christ prayed that his followers would have an attitude not of separation or assimilation, but of loving and relational relationships with non-believers. One of my favorite sections of scripture is Jeremiah 4, 7. And I want you to remember this. This is one of the most powerful sections of scripture. It has so much application for us today, particularly as we are sliding into an election year where there's gonna be a lot of haters on every side. And I wanna remind you that that doesn't represent us. We go into a world that hates us. We don't hate the world. Jeremiah 29, four through seven. Here's what's happening here. The Lord delivers instructions to the Jewish people who have just been taken into captivity by Babylon on how to live in the midst of their captors who hate them. Babylon is maybe the ancient day Las Vegas. How might you expect God to encourage his people who are being held, in, held captive? I just think that through your mind just for a minute. Like if you were in captivity of people who hated you, who hated your God, how might God be praying for you? How might he be encouraging you? Listen to these words. Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give, daughters, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not de decrease. Um, dig deep roots. Um, I've heard of political refugees and I, I guess I understand that at some level, but actually um, I would pray that we would want to be planted in the most pagan areas of the world so that we can build deep roots and that our family can stand out, that we can shine in a different way. Why in the world would we ever want to move to a place that where people are just mimicking or living out the Christian life, which is, praise God for that. But we need to live it out in the midst of unbelievers. 
Take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Dig deep roots. Do not decrease. Don't miss this, verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare, for, for in its welfare you shall find welfare. So here's what verse 7 is saying. Seek the welfare. Seek shalom of the people who hate you. Shalom is wholeness. Seek their wholeness, which can only ultimately be found in Jesus Christ. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray for the city. Pray for the people. And when the city finds shalom, you will find your shalom. We got it backwards. We don't legislate Christianity ever, anywhere. That, that this world is changed by one conversion at a time, by one proclamation at a time. And you know what happens when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and people's hearts turn from stone to flesh, they're regenerated? You know what happens? They go back into the mission field and they do the same thing. And what happens to culture? Culture changes. That's God's plan for the world that hates us. So Christians, let's grow deep relational roots and invest in the welfare of, of, of this city, of northern Colorado, where God has planted us. And if this culture hates us, let them hate us for our doctrine, not for our lack of love and service. Let us do good to those who hate us. It's our good works as servants that make the teaching about God, our Savior, more attractive. Listen to how Peter, Peter who was ultimately killed for his faith, listen to how he urges Christians who are facing fierce opposition to their faith to respond to that opposition. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. It is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Jesus' ministry in this world was humble, incarnational, sacrificial, intentional, relational, and ours should be the same. We don't need a to-do list, brothers and sisters. We don't need a to-do list. We need a culture change in the church. We need a culture change in this church. We need a culture change in the Big C church. Sending is not a task. It's a culture. Living on mission is not a laborious duty, but a joyful privilege. Ones who are sent. That's our identity. The church, God's people, are God's plan A to rescue his people out of the world. And where it starts is remembering the eternal love of God in the dying love of Jesus. Remembering that it was the kindness and grace of God that saved you when you were helpless and hopeless. A love for God in response to the love of God 
is the heartbeat of missional living. A love for God in response to the love of God is the heartbeat of missional living. We got all kinds of time. Love of the gospel and love for others is always going to push us outward. In the same way that a tornado pushes things outward. Jesus, I read this somewhere, it's not original, he's a spiritual tornado. He never pulls people in without sending them out. Gospel transformation creates a sending culture. Christian, you have been sent. You've been sent to reach the culture that God has providentially placed you in. So I want to encourage us to start right here. Let's start by confessing our lack of intentional love for those God has providentially placed in our life. No condemnation. And then let's start praying that God would give you and me the courage to start inviting people into our lives, to open our lives up to others. I want to encourage you to talk and pray about this in your community groups. Talk about it at your dinner table. Ask God who he would like you to shine and share the love of Christ to. Another quote that about 14 different guys take credit for is this. The mark of a mission-minded church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. The mark of a mission-minded church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. Would you pull up that sent slide, please, that's got the words on it? Thank you. This is a combination of a couple different slides, but this arrow pointed up to the northeast is where we want to live. The easy thing for us to do is to, is to do drive-bys on the bottom left, to chuck money at things, to not scowl at the barista, but smile at the barista. Where we want to end up is where Jesus engaged us, where he came and invested, gave his entire life for us. And he brought us into an ongoing relationship with the Father. And I want to encourage you, bottom left, just pray to the Lord, like, what's that next step, Lord? I just want to get on the map. What's the next step? Who do you want me to pray for? Who should I invite over? Who should I just ask today, even when they're in a bad mood behind the coffee bar? Like, how's your day today? Think of our church as dots of light all over this community. And our job is to go out into the community to establish relationships that enable people to see the light of Christ and to give us the opportunity to share the light of Christ. Amy Carmichael said that you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And I want to invite a special couple up here. We're going to do something a little bit different today. And uh, we're going to have a testimony of a couple, come on up, Markles, who... Um, who I got wind of that were 
um, just living out what we're talking about today. And I know this is a little bit um, uncomfortable for them, um, but it's going to be a glorious privilege for us. And I've just got a few questions. Does everybody know Kyle and Audrey Markle? Can you give them like a little golf clap for being up here? Thank you guys for agreeing to do this. So excited. Uh, we got a, just a few questions we're going to walk through. First, if you would introduce yourselves and your day-to-day -day responsibilities. Like, what's life look like? Thanks, Dan. Uh, so I'm Kyle Markle. This is my wife, Audrey. Uh, we have a three-year-old Haven, a one-year-old uh, Camden. Um, I work at some of the local ERs in the area, and Audrey was a teacher, and now she's uh, at home with our kids. I grew up uh, in this area, but we were out of state uh, for a little while, and we just moved back three years ago. We've been a part of WC for basically that whole time. And, um, yeah, we're excited to be here and excited to share today. Glad to have you guys. If you would share your passion um, for living on mission, and, and what motivates you to, to do that? Um, so uh, when I was a little girl, my parents, I vividly remember them sharing stories of um, doing international missions and making sacrifices and taking risks to share the gospel of Christ. And that struck a chord with me when I was very little. Um, and, and ultimately, um, the, the passion behind all of this is um, a love for Christ and what God has done for us. Um, I, we have no place to sit at the feet of a perfect and holy triune God. Um, but because of his love for us, he sent Jesus to us to save us, to be, to pay the price, um, for our sins, um, him who knew no sin. And, um, because of that, we are promised eternal life, um, in, perfect paradise. And not only that, but in this life, we get to have hope. We get to have a promise of um, his love for us. We get to have confidence, satisfaction, fulfillment, even in um, many trials of life. And so this passion for living missionally comes from what he's done for us. And um, knowing that if I love people around me, um, I don't want to see them as just people, but as souls that will live for eternity and having the mindset of where are they going to spend eternity? Um, and not only where will they spend eternity, but what kind of life are they going to get to experience right now? If we look around us, everyone is suffering to some, some extent. And so are, are they going to suffer with hope and, um, and have fulfillment and satisfaction in Christ? Or am I going to withhold the greatest truth ever known to mankind from them? Um, and, and throughout my life, there's been many circumstances where, um, the Lord has made very clear to me that, Audrey, I do not need you, and I will complete my purpose and what I want to do without you, even if you are unfaithful and don't do as I call you to do in the Great Commission. Um, but he uses us, and it is the greatest blessing ever to get to be a part of his spreading of the perfect news of Christ. Um, and so I, I know that if you love Christ, you are never would intentionally not share. Um, but the question that we often ask ourselves is, am I choosing to intentionally share and, and be bold and courageous and fear God instead of fearing man? And um, 
rejection or judgments or whatever it may be. You guys are busy. Um, you're, you're fully engaged with many unbelievable relationships in this body. You're a busy mom. Uh, you have family in the area. You've got a busy workplace. Um, you clearly have a lot of things on your plate. And, um, and I appreciated just sharing that you're, you're motivated. Uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, that, that he's motivated, he's compelled by the love of Christ. That's what compels us. Would you share with us just, um, just some of the crazy things you do? <laughs> it's really exciting. So, um, yeah, kind of practically, one of the, one of the things that we've done uh, the last couple of years during Easter, like over Easter weekend, is we've done, we've hosted like a big um, like Easter like egg hunting event where the, the Easter story, the gospel story is shared, um, which has been so cool and so encouraging to see. Uh, we did it one year at our house and then uh, one year at like the clubhouse in our neighborhood. And we basically, we, we invited everyone. We put up invites on the mailboxes in our neighborhood. We invited neighbors. We invited our community group. We invited uh, colleagues of mine and their families. And uh, we tried to make it really clear on the invitation that, like, the Easter story was going to be shared. We didn't want to trick anybody or anything like that. So um, people came. We had a lot of people come. And um, uh, we gathered. And basically, Audrey shared kind of like a, an, you know, an Easter story gospel presentation with all these props and maybe 10 minutes long. And it was really cool just to to see that and then see all the kids gathered around and then really cool also was all the adults, their parents, you know, kind of gathered behind them. And um, so we, we did that. And then afterwards there was this, you know, massive Easter egg hunt um, for the kids. And then people would kind of like hang out afterwards. And, uh, you know, in some ways that felt kind of natural because it's Easter and it was just so cool to, to see people come and really enjoy that. And some of the follow-up uh, afterwards was just really encouraging. And then and then also kind of uh, surprising to see a lot of, like, school-age kids that had never really heard the Easter story and don't know the gospel. And sometimes you don't really, like, think of that in northern Colorado, but we found that to actually be a, a fairly common response mm. that we, um, mm. we saw in, in follow-up. Yeah. So. Another practical way is um, just as a family, our uh, desire is to um, have open doors and invite others into what we are doing. Um, and... So I was really wanting to do a Lent Bible study leading up to Easter. And so um, with that in mind, I just sent a text out to basically every young woman I knew in the area and all the women in the neighborhood, um, wives of Kyle's buddies from work, um, community group women, and just said, hey, I'm going to do this Lent Bible study. Um, would love for you to come do it with me. If you've never been read the Bible. If you've never been to a Bible study, like still come. It's just in our home. We're going to do it after bedtime when the kids go to bed. Um, so just come over. We'll have drinks and snacks and um, open the word together. If you can only come one time, just come. Invite whoever you want. Um, yeah, if you can't do the readings ahead of time, that's okay. Just come. And it was shocking to me, the response. And um, just the women that came and so many of them are not a part of the church body, had, didn't know how to read their Bibles. Their Bibles were like the ones that they had that they were given when they were kids. Um, but they came and, and they kept coming. And then after the Bible study, it was, and these were women of all ages. After that, they were like, we want to keep going. And so they found another study. They were like, can we do this? And I was like, absolutely. So we <laughs> did a study through this summer and, um, 
hopefully we'll get to do one um, during the Advent season. It's just things that, that we're already a part of. Um, and like I said, we just have an open door policy where we live and it's taken time for people to trust that. But um, have we've just kind of said, hey, we have neighborhood kids that come over all the time and their parents and we do like breakfast and Bible study with our kids. And so if there's kids over for that, we say, hey, this is what we're doing. Come do it with us. Um, if we're all hanging out on Good Friday, there was some neighbors hanging out at the house, um, and I was like, hey, we're leaving to go to Good Friday service. Come with us. And a couple of them did, and it was so cool, um, just inviting and saying, this is what we're doing. Come be a part of it with us. Mm. No. <laughs> That's it? I want to ask you, we actually got more time than... than uh, than, um, than I thought. Um, I was thinking about this. Uh, is it ever discouraging um, to do Bible studies and do, do these outreaches and build relationships and not see fruit? Like, how do you, like, how do you process that? Like, what do you feel like your, your responsibility is in all of this? Absolutely. Yeah. There, there were weeks that... Um, only one girl came to Bible study and she came like 30 minutes late. And I just remember I was sitting on the front porch and I was like, well, I guess I'll just hang out here. And I was so discouraged and the girl ended up coming and we just kind of hung out. But, um, it, it was easy to become discouraged by that point because I felt like I was being rejected. Um, but just remembering that no matter the response, God is in charge of, of saving souls. And again, we get to be a part of it. And so doing whatever we have the opportunity to do, um, let's go, like, let's do it. And if, if nobody wants it, like they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Christ, but you never know what the Lord is doing in their lives and when he'll call them to him. And, and, he is sovereign over all of that. And so, yeah, there's absolutely times of discouragement or times that I ask questions and think we're going to have this rich spiritual conversation or that someone's going to say yes and come to church with me and it doesn't happen. But mm-hmm. just knowing that the Lord has his own timeline and I'm not in control of that. I just, I get to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to encourage you in that if you're like, this is just discouraging. And I've been praying for and encouraging this neighbor for years and nothing's happened. Just keep going, mm-hmm. keep doing it because you mm-hmm. never know how long it's going to take. You never know what the Lord's doing in their hearts. And we have neighbors who they were very much, I was like, this ain't going to happen. Um, not super into it. And it took a long time and lots of um, dropping off meals when they were sick. I would just maybe double our, our chili that we're making and say, hey, it's on the porch. Like, if you don't want it, you can freeze it or toss it. Like, <laughs> But just doing that and then, hey, there's muffins on the porch. I noticed that you seemed pretty down today and just keep praying for them. And over time, they realize like, hey, like these people actually mean it. Amen. So good. Um, what would be a, just a maybe a final encouragement to, I mean, all of us are in different places. We're all in process, right? Um, the um, maybe... Uh, somebody hasn't shared the gospel in their entire Christian life. Uh, maybe there's some that don't have a non-Christian friend. Um, there might be a few that want to do an Easter egg hunt like you guys did. Like, how would you just encourage us? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I mean, firstly, you know, it, it starts with our daily time in the Word, our daily time in prayer, as, you know, Dan just talked about during the sermon, like knowing and, and remembering what he's done for us and then book, like an overflow of that being 
our excitement and our joy to, to get to share, um, spending you know, frequent time in prayer, praying for specific people in your lives that you can share with. Mm -hmm. um, Audrey is, if you can't tell, like extremely good at this and like very, very, this is like her strength. And I wouldn't say that's like comes quite as naturally for me. And um, I, you know, uh, like can, can be a huge support for her. But then I also like in my own things, like whether it's like, hey, I want to, Lord, help me pray for one person at work today. Um, you know, you go out to eat. Can I, you know, we're going to, we're going to pray before our meal. Can we, can we can ask the server, Hey, you know, we're going to pray to Jesus before our meal. Is there, is there anything we can pray for you for? Um, you know, there's, there's smaller things that we can do. I think Audrey kind of mentioned earlier, but like play in the front yard with your kids, you know, instead of the backyard mm -hmm. that just engages the neighborhood, engages people, uh, engages you to share with, um, with others. And just as an encouragement, I, and Kyle just touched on this, but, um, as Dan just said, we are all called um, to share the gospel of Christ, um, but we each have different spiritual giftings and, um, and things that bring us life and enjoyment. So again, just look at those things and, um, and invite other people into that and, um, and include them in um, your life. And um, if we look at even Jesus's first calling to the disciples, the vehicle in which the good news was spread was through relationships. And he called a disciple and then he would go tell his brother. Um, and, and so build relationships, live intentionally wherever you are. If, if you're spending a lot of time at the grocery store, I had a mentor that I realized over time, she knew everybody at the grocery store and knew how to pray for them, that everybody that worked there. Um, and so if you spend a lot of time at the park, um, be intentional about speaking to the moms there. Um, and just like Dan said, just having a welcoming face and remembering that we're the hands and feet of Christ. And so the way that we look at and engage with people um, can create opportunities for conversations and just listening and knowing how can I pray for you and sharing things that you're struggling with and how the Lord's helping you through those things. Mm -hmm. um, and, and an example of that is we, um, when we do the Easter egg hunt, it is so cool when, when I'm um, sharing the Easter story, Kyle and all the guys from our small group are the ones that are out hiding all the Easter eggs. And there's a couple from our small group that was standing at the door greeting people. And when I love to, we love to host and um, some people don't love to host, but whenever we do host and have a birthday party or the Easter egg hunt and um, you see all these people there and you know they don't know Jesus, but you look and you see someone from your community group talking to them and engaging with them, it is it is like lights me on fire. Like, let's go. Like, they're over there sharing the love of Christ. I can keep doing my thing. The whole body has a part in this. And and I just have these visions of, like, each small group taking a neighborhood and doing this Easter account where they share the gospel of Christ. And I was talking to people in the church body this last week and saying, some saying, like, we don't really celebrate Halloween, but they know that other people do, and everyone in your neighborhood's going to be out. So get a table and go out in your driveway. And we do a cul-de-sac in our, or a potluck in our cul-de-sac, but go out in your driveway with another couple from your small group or just with your friend or spouse and have some chili or hot chocolate out there and just pass it along and just look people in the eyes and, and, and love them and pray for them, um, whether or not you do it right there to them. But anyways, I don't want to ramble, but... Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I want to, um, a couple things. I want to pray for you guys. Um, then I want to, we're going to get started with communion and just 
uh, being reminded of just God's, uh, the eternal love of God and the dying love of Jesus. But a couple things just strike me as you guys are talking that uh, that compels me to, in greater ways, maybe a couple things to think about. One is that uh, we have some friends in California, Tom and Don Harkis, just moved there a year and a half ago. The first thing they did is they started writing down names of people that that were in their path, um, the, the barista they were with that they went to every Monday, uh, people in their CrossFit gym, uh, their next-door neighbors, that type of thing. And they just started making a list. And they just started praying, like, God, like, like who of this list are you um, drawn to yourself? Who is it that you would like us to engage with? So just, just start by making a list of people. The next is, I just want to double down on this. Um, we've done the Halloween thing three of the last five years, just on our front porch, give out hot chocolate and coffee. It's not very expensive. Uh, Chase Nation had a great idea of giving out, or Chad did one of them, give out giant, the biggest candy bars in the neighborhood. Don't give these like little, you know, fireballs that the kids choke on. Like give them like big chocolate bars. And um, just engage, engage people that way. Um, and then the, the third, which is really first, uh, brothers and sisters, is that the, the more that we um, are reminded of the eternal love of God and the dying love of Jesus, that we were rescued from the power and the penalty of our sin when we were dead at the bottom of the ocean. That's, that's the starting place. When we understand the love of God and truth leaks, um, it starts to be game over. You're going you're gonna to start reaching out to people um, or a person or people in ways that you've, you've never done before. So um, let's, um, well, first let's clap for these guys, and then we'll pray. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Audrey, let me pray for you guys real quick. And then, uh, yeah, God, we just uh, thank you for uh, these image bearers. We thank you that um, when they were um, dead in their sins and trespasses, you made them alive in Christ Jesus. And God, I thank you that that life in Christ Jesus is compelling them to uh, live their lives on mission. And I thank you for um, what they're doing and how they're doing it and why they're doing it. And God, I thank you for the testimony they are to us. God, we're all um, exiles uh, living in a world that um, is broken. And, um, and there's much of the culture that uh, has disdain for us. And I pray, God, that we would not put salt in the wound. God, I pray we'd be ones who love and serve the culture and uh, with no strings attached. And I uh, just pray for Audrey and Kyle as they continue to engage non-believers, God, that they would just continue to be um, faithful and, Lord, and just uh, leave the results up to you. And, God, may you be honored and glorified uh, continually in and through them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Yeah.